Grant done live. <laughs> Voice effects and everything. You can just do so oh, much, yeah. Grant. Hey there, welcome to church. Welcome to our Valentine's Day special. Hebron, jail, DeMont Wheatfield, and of course online. Really great to be with all of you guys. And we have a special message today. My wife, Kristen, of 11 years, has come up to help us teach in this moment, and uh, she is the most prolific personal evangelist that I've ever known, and uh, she really is such an important part of our church. When we were talking about sending her to Hebron as what has become the full-time campus director there as a volunteer, um, one of our leadership team members, I won't say who it was, but it was Brent Shabalski. Um, Brent said, uh, you know, we can't lose Kristen here from Wheatfield. She's really the secret sauce of this location. And uh, what he said was, John, I know you think your sermons are really good and your leadership is good, but Kristen really is the reason. I mean, God's used her greatly. I said, thanks, Brent. That means so much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like the book of Titus. It talks about how older women are supposed to instruct younger women. And uh, my wife is getting really old and experienced, and I thought this would be a perfect... <laughs> perfect time to have her. No, really, the thing that I love and respect about Kristen so much is she really is, what you see is what you get with her. And the joy, the smile, the laughter um, that you see on stage, uh, that, that really is who she is in real life. And it's just a joy to do life with you, to be married to you. And I'm grateful for your partnership in this ministry here. So Kristen, thanks for being here. Oh, well, welcome to Mott Wheatfield, Hebron Jail. So excited to be here with you. And I just want to brag on Hebron for a little bit. We are doing two services. There's usually not a week that goes by that somebody's not giving their lives to Christ. And it is because the faithfulness of both locations. There is an incredible move of God happening both here and in Hebron. And it is so cool. And sidebar, I always crack up because I come home from Hebron and I'm like, oh, did they laugh so hard at We Feel for that? joke? And he's like, no. No, no Wheatfield did not laugh at all. I literally cut a hole in a frozen pond and popped out in a tux and a saxophone. And this campus was like like crickets. You know what I mean? <laughs> they were like, laughing on the inside. Yeah, I love Dutch culture so much, except for the fact that you guys don't laugh at my jokes. But that's okay. That's okay. But anyway, just thank you so much, Hebron. I really believe the best is yet to come. And it is so cool to see how God is using the expansion in the community. It's, it's crazy what God is doing there. And I just believe that he brought us there at the perfect place at the perfect time. Right. And we've only been married 11 years, but it feels like 20 days. And uh, so I'm so excited. And we have had the privilege during that time period of counseling thousands of people through relationships of various kinds. And uh, we've learned a few things about giving people guidance there that I think are going to bless you. And the concept that we want to lay down for you today is Jesus's core teaching on relationships. I think it's one of the most important things we can talk about. It's profound. It's super practical. It's very helpful. And I don't know why this is not taught more in Christian circles. Um, even if you're not a Christian, this specific piece of wisdom and practical knowledge is something that will bless your relationship very much. And honestly, when we first understood how Jesus' teachings worked in relationship, it blew our minds. And years ago, I was using a wheelbarrow, and all day it was super hard to move the dirt. When it was empty, it would work great, but when it was full, that wheel just did not want to turn. And those of you who understand wheelbarrows, you know that it needed air in the tire. And as soon as we put air in the tire, it was a whole new world. It worked great. I totally watched him struggle for like 30 minutes before I was like, did you know the tires? Nice. <laughs> but honestly, this part of Jesus' teaching is going to feel like air in your relational tire, whether it's friendships, romantic relationships, relatives. This one simple concept 
we really believe has the power to transform your life. And it sounds simple, and it is really simple, but we believe the vast majority of people aren't applying Jesus' teaching in this way. So when we have done marriage counseling in the past, I still remember when John started teaching this to couples, and it was like the lights came on in so many people's relationships. And I really believe that this has saved and transformed and, I, and even people in this room right now, God has used this in amazing ways. And I even, I kind of steal it when I'm doing one-on-one counseling with women as well. So we really hope that you lean in and apply this simple teaching to your life. But before we dive in, we want to give you a roadmap, because I know it's not every weekend that there's two people on the stage. So we are going to give you some Bible, and then we're going to show you some examples from our own life, and then we're going to challenge you to live it out. And what we're going to do, we're going to actually go to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to kind of teach, teach through the passage. But I want to be clear here. I think sometimes churches get like a sense of superiority because, oh, yeah, we do expository verse-by-verse messages or we do topical messages. I don't care as long as the gospel is being preached. Right. We're all one church working together. And as long as we're preaching the historic gospel of Jesus Christ by grace through faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, mm-hmm. I'm all good. And uh, Jesus is teaching this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 3. And he says, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And the crowd goes wild. Everybody laughs because that's humor in those days. Super, super funny. But then um, Jesus says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And what he's saying here is when it comes to relationships, you got to deal with your issues first. And uh, you don't have control over what other people do. Focus on your own issues. And I think we live in a society that says, you know, oppressor, oppressed relationships, like you're the victim, like it's all their fault. And when you do that, you have no power. It's depressing. But when you focus on your own issues, you have the power. My whole life, I have truly hated admitting I was wrong. I still sometimes love blaming other people for my problems. Yeah, you do. No, just kidding. (laughs) I don't know if anyone can relate to me in here. I I mean, sometimes you want to feel like a victim, even though you know it's wrong, you do. But you know what? The result is always depression, is always loneliness, isolation, and a trail of dysfunctional relationships in my path. And Jesus's words here are so true by not focusing on our speck or their speck excuse me and focusing on our lie our log <laughs> i almost said lies that'd be bad but no focusing on our log our issues guys there is so much freedom to be had and towards the end of Jesus' teaching, he kind of summarizes the whole thing. So he makes that statement, log splinter, mm-hmm. then he restates it again. And Jesus often does this. This is a pattern in his teaching where he'll make a statement, restate it once, twice, or even three times. And then he makes one concluding statement to wrap the whole thing up. And that's what verse 12 is. It's a conclusion of the entire passage, which says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all the law and all the prophets. And that last statement there is kind of a big deal. Don't let this significance of that be lost on you. He says, this is a summary of the whole Bible. Right. Okay. That statement, treat others the way that you want to be treated. That's the whole Bible summed up in a nutshell. And any other place that Jesus is talking about relationships, he is using this sentiment. In fact, this sentiment is repeated over and over again throughout the Bible by all the apostles. Even in the Old Testament, this sentiment is repeated. And Jesus actually tells us that this is the lowest bar possible. 
for Christians and non, if you want great relationships, start with treating them how you want to be treated. But later, Paul says there's a whole nother level. He says, um, you can actually humble yourself and think of others as better than yourself. Not just the way that you want to be treated, but even better than yourself. Years ago, we were counseling a couple. And I wish we could do that more, but we're not able to counsel couples as much as we used to. But for years, the adage was, was it's always men. It's always the man's fault. We feel like we had women coming up to us all the time complaining, and it seemed like, yeah, I guess it's always, it's always their fault then, John. I don't know what to tell you. But here's the truth. We know that's not true. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But we were couple, or counseling somebody about seven years ago at our old church, and she was just going on and on and on about her husband, and she was listing off all these horrible things that her husband was doing. And... The, the sad part was is he just kind of stopped coming home. Um, I think that's the case for a lot of couples. He started putting hobbies before her and her family. He started hanging out at the bars, drinking late at night. It was really sad. But then she proceeded in front of him to rip into him for about 20 minutes straight. And John asked this super powerful question in that moment, just cut to the heart. He asked her this, would you want to come home to you. We just all kind of like dropped the mic, like, what? What's <laughs> this like, oh, snap, like you just went there. It was so powerful. And then he said it again. And I remember we're all kind of sitting there like, oh, I kind of got the tingles. That is such a powerful question. And he said, if you talk to him the way you're talking about him right now, and I'm sure this is a lot worse. No, this is a lot better than it would be at home. We all know that behind closed doors, we are a lot nastier. He's like, I wouldn't want to come home to you. And understandably, again, this guy was doing a lot of horrible things, but two wrongs don't make a right. And she definitely wasn't treating him the way that she would want to be treated. And what John stated was just what Jesus's, Jesus says. He just restated what Jesus already says. Are you treating them the way you want to be treated? Would you want to come home to you? And when he asked that question, she just broke. And I just remember her looking back at him and saying, no, I wouldn't want to come home to me. And that moment forward really crystallized for us. Jesus is teaching in the context of relationship. And I think nearly every relationship uh, problem can be at least improved with this very simple question. Right. Would you want to be in relationship with you? In other words, are you treating others the way you want to be treated? And whatever kind of relationship it is, whether it's a friendship, marriage, dating, in-laws, relatives, neighbors, siblings, whatever, that one counseling session has been duplicated literally hundreds of times in my life now. And I use that question a lot when I'm arguing with Kristen. I mean, if things are not going well, the place I like to go is, would I want to be arguing with me right now? And so mm -hmm. often the answer is no, it's very convicting. And I just think this is so classic Jesus. I mean, Jesus, his teaching seems so basic. You hear this on the surface, like, well, that's basic. But Jesus gives us the simple key to brilliant relationships. It's air in your tires because it immediately gives you something that you can do. And instead of doing what particularly progressive society does, which is to blame the system, blame others, feel powerless and have nothing you can do. Jesus says, you know what? You treat others the way you wanna be treated. You take control of the situation. Jesus wants to empower you and bless you and when you do this, you can actually do something. And what we want to do in the next couple of minutes is we want to ask Jesus' question about relationships in some different contexts for you, but we kind of want to do a disclaimer before we jump into it. 
We want you to know that this is not, this next section is not about your spouse. It's not about your mother-in-law. It's not about the person you brought to church or the person you wish was in church right now. <laughs> we want you to take a second and ask God, God, to just, just be here right now and just help you to focus on what you can do in the next 10, 15 minutes, not about anyone else. Right. It's about you. And we're going to look at four specific contexts of relationships that we can contextualize Jesus's question in. The first one we want to talk about is friendships. And the big question is, would you want to be friends with you? And, uh, you know, we live in an epidemic of loneliness. All the sociologists in America tell us that, hey, hey you know, younger people don't have friends in the same way that older generations did. Like, they, they, they really don't have friends. And, uh, you know, we meet a lot of young, lonely people. And I would encourage you, if you're lonely, um, ask yourself the question, would I want to be friends with me? And so often, you know, sadly, the answer is no. You know, we'll have young people over, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm lonely. And then they'll scroll and troll on their phone literally the whole time that we're together and fantasize about being with other people, watching their stories come in. And it's like, oh man, that's not, that's, think about that. Would you want to be friends with that? We watched a birthday party that one time, remember? Yeah, we watched a birthday party. There was like 10 girls hanging out, young ladies, and literally they, they never talked with each other for an hour. They were just on their phones, maybe texting each other across the table, which was crazy. <laughs> but um, based on how you keep your word, would you want to be friends with you? You know, people say all the time, my friends are never there for me. You know, we had um, a friend once who, you know, all the, her whole story was just this sob story of, oh, my friends are never there for me. And when times are hard, they're not. Are you there for them? And it turned out the answer was no. When times are bad, she was not. Are you flaky? Do you keep your word? Um, do you keep a promise to hang out with somebody when a better opportunity comes up? You know, several times we've had, you know, people coming over for dinner and they'll text us like, oh, I can't come. I'm not feeling well tonight. And then we'll see their Snapchat stories come in and it's like, oh, you're at Holly's throwing darts. Like you just, <laughs> you just had a better opportunity come in. And would you want to be friends with that type of person? No. Right. And uh, so often it's like, okay, well, treat others the way you want to be treated. Do you get mercy, grace, forgiveness, and the benefit of the doubt the way you would want it from others? And I love Paul's teaching here in Galatians 6, 7. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. In other words, you reap what you sow. Okay? If you don't like the harvest you're getting, I really want you to think about the seeds that you're planting when it comes to your friendships. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, my friends hold grudges all the time and they get mad at me. Well, how do you treat them? Do you fly off the handle with them? Do you cause drama with them? In other words, the big question is, would you want to be friends with you? And what I love about this is how solution-focused it is. Mm -hmm. Of course, many of you probably are sitting here already feeling convicted just from this friendship one. But guys, the, the cool thing is it's not rocket science. We just have to ask ourselves this simple question. How would I want my friends to treat me? For me, I mean, all of us could probably have a really long list, right? Okay, how do I want people to treat me? For me, it's compassion, grace, forgiveness, um, steadfast, unwavering faithfulness, right? I mean, we could just go on like, ooh, that'd be nice if they treated me that way. But how, however you answer this question is how you should be treating others. Make a mental list. For me, the longest time, if I was sitting in this room, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm a really good friend. I think I, I think I got this down. But when I first started following Jesus, I, I, the first thing he really convicted me of was holding unforgiveness. I think I really struggled being a good friend in that way. If you wronged me, I was out. I cut you out of my life, and it was over. God's like, you can't do that anymore. And so once we started asking this question, that was the thing I really needed to start getting to work with. Right? And the thing, and I love this too, you know, being married and everything, because there are some things you just can't say 
to your spouse super easily, you know, because right. like, hey, I think you struggle with forgiving people, and then you die. You know what I mean? Like, that's <laughs> really yeah, unforgiveness <laughs> about asking me about unforgiveness, you know. And I'm so grateful for the way this has blessed both of us in our marriage, right. um, you know, because it's very convicting, and I think it saved us a lot of hurt from each other. Um, not to say you shouldn't confront each other, but think about the friend that you want. And then be that kind of friend, and you will gain that type of friends, because what you sow is what you reap. And, uh, you know, all the data tells us that you are the average of your five closest friends. And uh, so if you look at your friends, they essentially are a representation of you. Um, maybe you're lonely. Well, um, get some friends at one of our life groups. And we have a life group sign-up table in the lobby. You're more than welcome to sign up for that. Maybe you just need to upgrade. You know, if you don't like the average of your, you know, five closest friends, it might be time to make some changes. I know you can do this, but uh, I love Jesus' teaching when it comes to friendship. Treat others the way you want to be treated. This is the essence of all the law and all the prophets. So that's friendship. We've kind of contextualized Jesus's question there. I want to jump into conflict resolution. Here's the main question here. Would you want to go through conflict with you? Yeah. Relationships that succeed know how to fight. You have to fight for your relationships. It doesn't matter if it's for your kids, your spouse, your friendships, your coworkers. You have to fight for it. And I want us to truly take a moment right now, okay? Get in your head. All right. Picture the last argument you were in. Okay? You there? Would you respond well to you? And guys, here's the truth. If you really treated yourself the way that you treat your spouse, um, you'd probably punch you in the face. You know what I mean? Like, you'd be like, let's throw some hands. How dare you talk to me that way, bro? Like, what are you doing? And if I treated me the way I treat him, I'd be like, unfriend, I'm ghosting you. I don't, I don't like it. I would. It's so true. I tend to think about what people are going to say long before they're finished. And usually I have finished the entire argument in my head in about five seconds. Like it doesn't take that long and I already know what she's going to say. And yet she still insists on giving me a real time blow by blow and then repeat it again, you know? Well, he brings that up because this is where we struggle in conflict because I'm not like, oh, you know what? You know how I'm going to feel really loved? if John can cut me off right now and tell me what I'm gonna say. You know what I mean? Like, that's never the case. I'm like, why'd you cut me off? I just want to feel heard. I just want to feel seen. Why don't you listen to me? This is a constant conflict, right? It is. And I think it's so important to treat others the way that you want to be treated. Obviously, in conflict, and I want my personality to be accommodated. That's what I want her to do, is I right. want Kristen to accommodate my personality, which is to high speed, low drag it, let's get through this and move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if I want her to accommodate my personal idiosyncrasies, if I'm treating people the way that I want to be treated, I should accommodate her idiosyncrasies, right? right? That would be, it would be me laying down my life for her, treating her the way that I want to be treated. Right. And examples of us not doing this, um, I have a tendency to roll my eyes when she's going slow. And it's just a natural thing, you know? And Kristen talks about how it's such a big deal when I roll my <laughs> eyes, right? And I'm like, I roll, come on. Like, it's not that big a deal. The big deal is that you are talking so slowly. Well, <laughs> the other day, one of my daughters proceeded to roll the eyes that are part of my genetic code at me, you know what I mean? In, in standing in the clothes that I bought her and the house that I put around her, she proceeded to roll her eyes at me. And I was like, how dare you? You know, da -da 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 -da. and uh, you know, speaking like death metal. And um, I realized, you know what? I'm a hypocrite. Maybe I need to fix this. <laughs> well, all this to say, would you want to try to resolve conflict with you when you are constantly rolling your eyes, sighing, raising your voice, getting angry, emotionally or radically unhinged? Of course not. 
No one does. But why are so many of us doing this anyways? Take an inventory of yourself. Mm -hmm. Really sit down and think, what is it like to argue with me? Right. Are you approachable? Do you want to grow as a person? How often, how many times a week do you admit that you're wrong when confronted and ask for forgiveness? Most of the data tells us in order to experience a high level of intimacy, you need to generally be admitting that you're wrong and asking for forgiveness at least once a week. Mm. That's a really healthy number, you know, and you can actually put a number on it at least. That's like a baseline. If you're like the type of person that admits that you're wrong like once every couple months, once a year, um, you're going to have difficulty having intimacy in your life, having real friendships that endure. Your relationships are going to be stunted, and that's that's like a major, major red flag there. And uh, uh, the other thing is, admit that you're wrong, ask for forgiveness, caveat, without counter-confronting. <laughs> and this is a huge deal, okay? I'm sorry for sure. You are so right. Please forgive me. But you always, okay? That's called counter-confronting. Don't do that. That's so lame. Nobody wants to be treated that way. Nobody's like, oh, you know what? That feels, that, that really feels legit, you know? Treat others the way that you want to be treated with humility, kindness, compassion, truth, and love. I think another great question here is, would you actually want to face tough situations with you? I like think, a crisis. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think we all have pretty good lives here in America and compared to the rest of the world or history. But I, we can all agree there's things that happen that cause stress, that cause crises, whether it's financial or sickness, work issues, just downright stressful situations. And are you someone who you would want to handle those situations with. So often, when I think about it personally, I would have to answer, absolutely not. And a lot of times, I just really wouldn't want to handle a stressful situation with me. And one of the things that I really wanted when I was single and I was looking for somebody that I wanted to marry, I really wanted somebody who would be able to lead me in those stressful situations, who would and help. And she got it. Look <laughs> at this big, strong man right here. Come oh, heck on. yeah. It's good, didn't yeah. I? But what I realized is I do not always treat people the way that I want to be treated in these situations. I, I have learned that I often don't handle change very well. And I think I, I ignored it, didn't realize it, and never faced it until we actually started asking this question in our lives. And this is one of those difficult moments as a husband where you're like, do I nod and affirm what she's saying, <laughs> that she's bad at this? Because what if I get in trouble later? You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> just kidding, we're good. Um, now that she's aware of it, though, she has improved a ton. And I'm so thankful for God's Spirit working through His Word um, and convicting both of us in so many ways through this simple question, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught and all the law and all the prophets. So we've talked about friendship, so important. Um, we've talked about conflict, also so important. We did have a section on mate selection, um, but I cut that out because we ran out of time. So let's talk about sex. <laughs> Thank you for that transition. <laughs> I have to be careful how I phrase this, but the question is, do you treat your spouse the way that you would want to be treated sexually? I know that men and women are different. I know your minds probably went different places when I even asked that question, but we're, we're the same in the sense that we both want our spouse to lay down their lives for us. We both want them to try to get us in the mood, right? And just to have an insight into our relationship, John hates it when I'm like talking about work and talking about the kids and then, oh, we live with his parents. So, oh, talking about what his parents did today. And then I'm like, you ready to get it on? 
And I'm like, absolutely <laughs> not. Like, no, no. <laughs> Understandably. And I have a hard time when I feel like we haven't emotionally connected. We haven't talked all day. Maybe we just haven't seen each other. And that is, that's difficult for me to feel like I'm in the mood. So I want to ask this question again. Do you treat your spouse sexually the way that you would like to be treated we all do these things, I feel like, in this area that we would never want to be treated back to us. I think that, man, are we, would we want a spouse who is insecure and withdrawn? Do we treat our body the same way that we would want them to treat their body? Wow. Do you serve them with the same care and attentiveness and dedication that you would want to be served with? And men... <laughs> I'm going to call you out real quick. I mean, I know a lot of times you, this is the area you're like, yes, preach, let's do it. But I know a lot of times you do want sex more. I know that's not always the case for all relationships. But let me just ask you this question. Would you be attracted to you? You know, maybe shower, wear deodorant, work out. I mean, these are all great things that make me more attracted to him. But for real, like getting to the heart of it, be kind, loving, respectful, and servant-hearted, right? This is actually a big deal for, for me. I would say that for the longest time, you know, when I met Kristen, you know, I, I just felt so blessed and fortunate that she chose me, you know, and obviously that's like, oh, prom queen and all this stuff. And she's mine. And I can't believe it. And for like the first five years of her marriage, I was like, just totally pursuing her, romancing her, you know, coming home with Skittles coming out of my ears, riding a unicorn and the whole nine yards. But, um, <laughs> at about 30, I don't know, something happened. I kind of started taking her for granted. I didn't pursue her as much emotionally. And like one of the big areas, I just kind of started working on my dad bod. You know what I mean? Like I let it go. I shower. I got down to showering two times a week. That's how <laughs> often I shower, literally two times a week. And, uh, you know, I just, I let it go on so many different levels. And I realized eventually I thought, man, I would really hate that. If she did all those things to me, I, that, I'm not treating her the way I would want to be treated. So I said, it's time for some changes, time to start being a little more tenderhearted, pursuing her emotionally and, um, you know, working out and, and showering. Thank God for that showering <laughs> So good. But I want to switch gears and think about this mentally, okay? Would you want someone that thinks the way you do about sex and porn, about their own body, about other people's bodies? Mm. Okay, those are some big questions. Yep. Another way that I like to put this into perspective, and this one really hits home for me, is would you want someone to treat your son and daughter the way that you treat your spouse? Wow. I hope that my son has a great sex life with a wonderful wife who is pure and wise and desires him. And I hope that my daughters have husbands who respect them and also desire them greatly and have saved themselves for them, right? I just, I have all these dreams for my kids and I just, I really, we pray for these things on yep. the daily. But here's the deal. Why would I want better for my kids than what I'm willing to do for my spouse? And for men, would you get mad at a son-in-law for the way that he treats your daughter? But do you treat your wife the exact same way? That is a cutting question. And I think that's a really, really good word, Chris. And it, it always blows my mind that we get into these kind of lazy marriage groups, I call them, where we're just kind of on autopilot. You know, it's Valentine's Day, whatever. They're giving out the date packets at church, which is great. Men, mm -hmm. you planned this out. Ladies, all of your men said, I planned on having this date packet for my wife to really romance her this Valentine's Day. <laughs> but um, we get into like these habits where we kind of let it go for each other. And sometimes, sadly, we have to go through the trauma and the pain of divorce, right? 
And, and, and what blows my mind is after couples get divorced, then I always see them work on the things that could have been worked on in marriage. You know, you drop 20 pounds and, you know, you go to counseling to deal with the baggage you've always had and you get financially back in shape and all these other things. And it's like, man, what if we put the same effort into this relationship instead of waiting for the next one to do that, you know? And I think that's just a big challenge for us and for me to think, man, I really want to put effort into this relationship right now. Right. And I want to pursue my wife, you know, like I, I pursued her before we were married. And, uh, you know, um, if you have been divorced, I just want to say that you're loved. You're very much a part of this community. And uh, I think there's a little more traumatic that we can go through. We have a great program called Divorce Care. And uh, now that we're coming out of COVID, I'm excited to be able to offer that again. I would encourage you to consider that. And uh, we just applaud everybody putting effort into growing as a person. And this question has steered us into health in our marriage all of the time. I am so thankful because several times where we have been fighting about this, both or one of us have realized, wow, I am really out of line here, and I would be really mad at me for acting this way. Right. So, obviously, after sex comes parenting, so that's what we're going to talk about last. And uh, this is, for me, probably the most convicting. And the real question here is, would you want to be parented by you? Mm -hmm. And uh, even if you don't have kids, I'm coming for you here because there's a section in this that will be relevant to everyone. But uh, I think the big questions are emotionally, are you present the way that you wish your parents were Mm -hmm. with your kids? Um, With your anger, anger is like a safe place for me. That's like one of my favorite places to go to is anger. It's like a teddy bear. I love being mad at things. But um, with your anger, are you treating your kids the way that you wish you'd be treated with your patience, with your teaching, with the way that you're on your phone? You know, I think, man, like I'm very attentive to lots of different people, but then with my kids, like, what am I doing? Um, With the way you let them do screen time, are you treating them the way that you'd want to be treated? As adults, we re-adjudicate all of our parents' choices. I know we do. I did. You did. I think so often parents can be on a pedestal when we're little and then we think that they can do no wrong. And then you grow up and you start looking back or talk to other people and we're like, man, that wasn't normal. And your kids are going to look back on all of your choices with adult eyes. And it is really helpful for us and for you to be asking the simple questions of, would I want this? And also, as an adult, looking back on this moment, is this how I would want to be treated? Right. And when I'm disciplining my kids all the time, I just think, would adult Isabel, looking Mm -hmm. over my shoulder at me disciplining child Isabel, like, what would she think? You know, right. I find that super convicting. But, um, you know, I was a youth pastor for a number of different years. And so often I would talk with parents in the lobby of our churches in Minnesota. And the parents would come to me and they'd be like, with their kids standing right there, my kid is just the worst. And da 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 da. They're so ungrateful and they're eating us out of house and home. It's just rude. And the emotions. And the kid would be like, ah, you know. And I just always thought, like, man, you would hate it if somebody talked about you to their pastor in front of you. You know what I mean? Like in that way, that would, that would feel bad. And I just always thought to myself, man, I really want to dignify and honor my children in a way that I would want if I were them. And I think it's easy to forget about what it was like to be a teenager, but when you really bring your mind back to that place, it's like, man, how did I want to be treated? How did I want people to understand me in this context? I think it's a really great roadmap for how to treat your kids. And then this last one's really relevant for everyone. But when it comes to um, after you've moved out of the house, I've been a pastor for long enough where I've had like parents who have teenagers who are like juniors and seniors in high school. And they're like the grandparents, my parents are all over us with guilt and whatever. And they don't know how busy we are and whatever. And we're adding onto our house for our graduation open house, which is like the worst justification ever because our kids are moving out. So let's add on. Right. But um, (laughs) anyway, 
doing all this stuff and getting it all done. They don't know how busy we are, and they're so controlling and whatever else, right? And then their kids move out, okay, get married, have kids, and all of a sudden, those same parents are coming back to me like, my kids, they never come home, and they never whatever, and blah, 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 blah. And I just think, man, what a great question. Am I treating my adult parents who I want, want to be treated, you know, with the love, care, respect, with the time that they want, you know, would I want to be treated this way? And it's just flipping it on its head, right? And then, like, obviously, am I treating my adult children the way that I would want to be treated? We're giving them the independence and respect and autonomy that they so much desire that I desired. This question really illuminates that for us. I love Jesus' simple brilliance. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. And as we close, I really want to challenge you to begin doing something. I know some of us probably think, oh, I'm, I'm good at everything, you know. Um, but look, if all your problems in your life are someone else's fault and you have problems in your life um, and you just blame other people, that's what sociopaths do. You know what I mean? That was funny. That was supposed to be a joke. That's what sociopaths do. Okay. Everyone's like, no. Oh, is that what sociopaths do? Um, look, I'm kind of kidding. But for real, uh, you are the common denominator in all of your problems. And I think it's so easy to blame other people. But when you really begin to get honest with yourself, you're going to find empowerment and healing. And maybe ask somebody who matters to you a ton, who you respect, who you look up to, who is godly. Just say, what is one area you really would like me to focus on some self-assessment. And notice it says one area, okay? All you type A people are like, turn down for what? I've got a list of 70 areas and I can't wait for this question to get asked and you're ready. Look, one, we're going for one, okay? <laughs> and uh, I don't overwhelm them. Make this a pleasant experience. And Kristen and I have really found when we're at our best, the conflict really is a pleasant, loving experience and it's a great intimate connection for us when we're able to handle this correctly with loving hearts, when we're treating each other the way that we would want to be treated. It is a real blessing. And uh, Kristen and I both did this for each other, just as an example for you guys. I asked Kristen this question, hey, what's one area you'd like me to focus on some self-assessment? And uh, she told me, not surprisingly, that it was my tone of voice and demeanor when she was talking about something that I already know. And it's hard because I do already know everything. So, um, which basically means all the time, my tone of voice and demeanor when she's talking to me. And uh, you know what? As I really did some self-assessment, I pulled myself out of the situation and I just started thinking about what am I like to talk to? I thought, man, I'm, I'm not very nice. I would hate to be treated that way. Well, and when I asked him the same question, um, it's kind of silly, but I really do do this all the time. So when he's trying to get out the door is when I decide that we need to have a talk. I'm like, we, I need to tell you something important. Or I don't know, I just, I, lately I've just been wanting to hold him back from getting out the door because I have so much to say. And I totally see how that would be really frustrating. Any it's of like you, an invisible love test. <laughs> Do you love me enough? Will you be late for me? And here's the truth. I am late. I am I sh I'm overcoming, be running late to everything. And if he treated me this way, it would be horrible. It would be so hard for me. And so I definitely see that I'm not treating him the way that I would want to be treated. But it was a really easy conversation for us to have. It was fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think both of us felt edified from it and closer to one another. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I want to challenge you to maybe think about doing that in your life this Valentine's Day. But most significantly, this is a really big deal. I want you to know that it's okay to fail. Right. And it's okay to not be perfect. And I think we live in a society, especially because of the progressive movement, where if you screw up, you're canceled. 
And that's one of the things I hate about cancel culture. You know, you do one thing that we don't like and you're off the Mandalorian forever. Like you're canceled, you're done, it's over. You know, one screw up, this, that. And uh, you know, the teachings of Jesus are why America became the land of opportunity and the land of second chances. I mean, Jesus is the reason why tolerance is a part of our culture, like actual tolerance. It's okay to be different. It's okay to disagree. That's why we enjoy all the things. And as a matter of sociological and historical fact, that's it. Even if you're an atheist, even if you're agnostic, you have the Bible and the words in it to thank for the incredible tolerance that America has had. You know, and as his teachings recede from society, I think it's become not okay to fail. And this community is always going to be a place where no one's perfect and everyone's welcome because of Jesus' teaching that says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Nobody's perfect. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Everybody's welcome. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This is part of Christianity. When you fail, he forgives. We serve the God of second chances. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, it paves the way for you to have intimacy with everyone else in your life because you are admitting, I'm not perfect. And so it becomes easy to ask others for forgiveness. It becomes easy to think about, man, I'm not treating people the way I wanna be treated, you know? And instead of being like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna get canceled so I can't admit that I'm wrong, you say, man, like, I'm gonna be forgiven. I can admit that I'm wrong and I can grow. Yeah. Jesus gives us the ability to grow. <laughs> Sorry, almost got you off there. <laughs> no, I, it was my bad. I was getting ready for the application. Okay, guys, we just want you to pick one area. I know a lot of you, maybe a lot of you don't, but some of you here are probably feeling very overwhelmed. And we just want you to pick one of the four areas that we talked about. So whether it's friendship, conflict, sex, parenting, choose a tangible way that you can start treating people the way that you would like to be treated. And I think an extra credit bonus would be to maybe confess to someone, again, that you love, who loves God. Just confess to them, I have been falling short in this area. And maybe asking them, could you help me stay accountable in growth in this area? And you know, as Kristen and I were putting this together, our big prayer is that it wouldn't just be helpful or interesting information. Our big prayer is that God would bring healing to hurting relationships. And I don't know, I just imagined maybe a 22-year-old daughter going to a mother saying, you know what, I thought about our relationship for the last three years I lived under your roof. And I just wanna ask for your forgiveness for not treating you the way that I would wanna be treated. I thought about my tone and demeanor and you know, I thought about maybe a father going to a son who was being integrated into a family business saying, hey son, I'm, I'm sorry for the way that I treated you. You know, I would never wanna be treated that way and will you forgive me? I just imagine God bringing healing and restoring some relationships. And to all of us, like, I want you to know the power is in your hands. Like it begins with you. It begins with you saying, you know, it's, it's not about like, oh man, my mom did all these things, so that's why. It begins with you just saying, you know what, irregardless of whatever happened, I would never want to be treated that way. And that's how I treated people. I wanna ask humbly for forgiveness. I wanna challenge you to do it. And I know you have what it takes. You have a God who is full of grace and mercy and love and truth. And you can bring that healing to a world that needs it so badly. So as we close, I wanna ask you to stand. And uh, I wanna read Jesus's wise words one more time. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. As we close, I'd like you to have a prayer with me. God in heaven, I lift up each person hearing the sound of my voice to you. I ask that you would empower us with courage by your spirit to bring healing to broken relationships. 
God, I ask that you would give us the courage to forgive others, but more significantly and more importantly, I ask that by your spirit, you would convict us and give us the courage to admit that we're wrong and sinful and to ask for forgiveness from others that we perpetrated sin against. God, in a hurtful, intolerant, and angry world, I ask that you would use Christians to bring healing, to bring restoration by our example of humility, meekness, submission, compassion, and asking for forgiveness. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen and amen. The band is going to lead us in a song together. Let's sing.